guys, Jack here. Two quick announcements today. First, we want to offer a one-hour free coaching uh, to one lucky listener who reviews us on iTunes in the next week. Uh, reviewing us and subscribing to us on iTunes really helps our rankings, uh, which draws people to the podcast. And we'd really appreciate your help in that regard. So if you leave us a review, you will have a chance to be chosen for a free coaching uh, from Zach or myself. Second, remember to sign up for our event with Thinking Poker this March 25th and 26th. Uh, We have fewer than half our seats remaining, and the sessions on Saturday are particularly sparse. So get over to the site soon, justhandspoker.com slash thinkingpokernyc to reserve your seat. All right, guys. Thank you so much, and enjoy this week's episode. Hi, Jack. Hey, Zach. What's going on, man? Enjoying the lovely view from this apartment right here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uncommon that the two of us get to be in the same room to record a podcast, and even less common to be in the same room as one of our guests. Uh, but when we're all on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, uh, these things become possible. So, hello, Aaron. Uh, our guest today is Aaron Brown. Uh, thank you so much for hosting us. Hello, Jack. Hello, Zach. It's good to be here. Yeah, so um, let's, let's get right into the hand. So we're actually going to be talking about a listener hand today, uh, submitted just a couple weeks ago, and this player was playing at the Sands Casino in Pennsylvania, probably the second closest casino to New York City, uh, playing one $2 no limit, and I'm going to read the kind of description about the relevant players in the hand that the listener gave us. So playing in an eight-handed table for an hour, hour with hero on the button. Here is a 23-year-old male and appears lag after opening a decent amount of late position hands and showing down a couple of bluffs. Only one winning hand has been shown down so far. Okay. Sounds like someone I know. <laughs> uh, villain one. Oh, sorry, sorry, can I ask a question about that? So he's saying yeah. for he's played for an hour and he has only shown one winning hand or only one winning hand from the table has gotten to show down? I think what he's saying is that he's only shown down one winning hand and that multiple bluffs have been shown. Got it. Um, so, uh, uh, there's two villains, and villain one is under the gun plus one. A 40 to 50 year old white male playing loose aggressive, playing about 70% of hands, limping only pre-flop, and calling about 50% of three bets after limping, while also calling down low pairs and chasing some draws regardless of pot odds. So let's stop right there for a second. I think, um, this is like a really, really good short and sweet description. Uh, because loose passive really isn't that descriptive. Like, that's just going to describe the vast majority of people playing 1, 2, and 2, 5. But, like, specifically saying, like, you know, what their VPIP is, the fact that they're limping only pre-flop, and calling about 50% of three bets after limping, that's, like, something that you would not intuit at all from, you know, just the general label loose passive. That's a, that's a dangerous player, and uh, sounds like a player who's going to be out to get you, get out to get hero. Uh, at some point, maybe not this hand, probably this hand, though, it's probably my tier. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I, I'm i always a little bit skeptical uh, when frequencies are such, like, playing 70% of hands, calling 50% of three bets, because when, when you start to think about what 70% of hands actually looks like, uh, you know, someone who is going to actually fold 30% of hands and not just play every hand, uh, you know, the 50 to 70 percentile range of hands is pretty similarly unattractive as some of the worst hands. So I tend to 
just so just so the listeners sort of know my decision, how I'm going about my decision making, I'm probably gonna be a little bit more conservative about that in terms of how wide of a range I think this player is playing. I, it's absolutely, I would absolutely agree with that. But a, a very dangerous player because this is somebody who's aiming to make a few big pots all night, and you play him a little wrong one hand, and that can be your whole profit for the for the evening. So. It's somebody you would prefer not to be in a hand with normally, although probably there's a lot of small profits to be made there with him playing weak hands and, and, and chasing draws. Yeah, I would imagine there's actually some medium and big profits to be made from this player. Like anyone who's playing even like kind of adjusted in the way that Jack described, like playing 50% of hands and calling about half or a little under half of three bets after limping, that's a player that I definitely want to be involved in. It definitely ups up the variance in the game a lot especially if they're going to be calling down draws regardless of pot outs, like the listener described. So, you know, assuming I'm rolled for that stake, I want to be in this pots with this player all the time. One of the things that is very important to me is that, you know, people use the word aggressive a lot. And, you know, aggressive to me has nothing to do with betting big. You know, an aggressive player raises a lot and folds a lot, too. And uh, if this guy is just wild then, you know, he's money to be taken. If this guy is truly aggressive where you just cannot predict what he's going to do, then uh, even with 70% of hands, you know, the one-two table at a casino, that can be a profitable uh, way to play. Yeah, I think I might have misspoke when I first described the villain. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, this villain's loose passive, Ah. not loose aggressive. Loose passive, so he's wild, but he's not, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, he's, he is the type of player we want. Yes. <laughs> not, not super dangerous. <laughs> he's uh, he's sort of aggressive in normal English, but in poker terms, he's actually passive. And exactly. He's what he's going to do. Okay. So the, the aggressive description was uh, Hero's description of himself. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. And also, let's keep in mind, like all of this is after a one-hour sample, mm-hmm. and I think I've definitely been guilty of this. But how much can we really know after a one-hour sample? Um, so, like, saying someone is limping 70% of hands and calling 50% of 3-bets, at a 1-2 table, there's probably not that many 3-bets, so if he, like, called one 3-bet after limping and then folded to the other one, like, you know, that's very different than, like, calling 50% of 3-bets over, like, a 35 3-bet sample, you know? That actually brings up something I've noticed, um, uh, 2 plus 2, the the, uh, site, people who are raised on computers and, you know, VPIP and seeing all the stats, will go into a casino, see three hands, calculate the stats, and then start throwing them right. Yeah, without a good sample size, it doesn't mean too much. On the other hand, most players are pretty predictable. There are an awful lot of players, you, can, you know, some you can just tell when they sit down, but most of them playing for an hour, you've got a pretty good idea, unless they're, you know, uh, uh, very good at concealing it. Yeah, I think the one thing that we will have a somewhat meaningful sample size for is limping frequency. Uh, so if we've seen someone limp 70% of 30 hands, it's very unlikely they're playing, you know, the top 30% of hands. That so. is true. Yes, yes. Although they could be playing the top 50. Right. Yeah, that, that's much more possible. So I guess, yeah, so I think we have a good, <laughs> a solid range of possibilities for this villain, but I think all of them are pretty desirable. So let's move on to the second villain, who's in the small blind, uh, a 30-year-old Asian male. Also lose passive, but playing slightly less hands than villain one. Seems to just be on a weekend trip with a friend who is on the rail chatting with him. Only seems to raise premium hands and has called down, then folded river with draws and mid pairs. And again, a similar skepticism for me is like, 
have you really gotten to that many showdowns with this one player at an eight-handed table over an hour that you know that he only raises premiums and has called down and folded river withdraws and meeting in pairs? It seems like maybe he saw him call down withdraws once, called around with a middle pair once, and now is saying this statement. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then okay. The only other thing I would say is like, I think we'll take we'll take the listener's word for it moving forward to a certain degree, but were these hands where Dylan open folded a draw or a middle pair? Yeah. Or are we sort of going off the listener's assumption? Because that tells a lot about a player if they're willing to open fold yeah. hands. Yep. Um, another thing I'd be interested in knowing, it probably isn't in the description here, is the interaction between those two players. I assume this is going to come down to, you know, these three is going to get folded to the button and then we're going to come down to these three. Uh, have they been, has one won a lot of money from the other? Have they been crash talking each other? Whatever, that can, that can make a difference. Okay. Mm-hmm. And one, one word of warning to our hero before, I don't even know what happens, but given our hero's image and the fact that one of our villains is known to be somewhat of a station and the other villain we think is folding middle pairs on the river, but you know, considering our image as someone who's bluffing a lot, I just would not be, I would not have a very high bluffing frequency in this situation especially because of the calling station, but also because if we if we think, based on seeing this player fold hands like middle pair, that we, with our image, are going to be able to get this player to fold middle pair, uh, that's not uh, an assumption that's going to work out very well, in my experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I was very recently a 23-year-old white male uh, with a lag image after opening hands in late position, and people do not fold middle pairs on the river after an hour of that. <laughs> right. uh, so, as a recap, villain one under the gun plus one, you know, pretty stationy, very loose, pre-flop, chases, draws, post-flop, villain two in the small blind, 30-year-old, uh, loose passive, uh, but less of a station and might fold middling pairs on the river, and then the hero, 23-year-old young male, uh, who has shown out a few bluffs and only one kind of value hand. So the effective stacks are hero has two or 205, um, and the other villains have him covered, so the effective is actually about 100 big blinds. And the preflop action is villain one limps, under the gun plus one, middle position limps. Hero raises to $12 with 10 of clubs, 10 of spades. Villain two and the small blind cold calls. Villain one calls and middle position folds. So we got $40 in the pot, and the hero raised a $2 limp to $12 with pocket tens on the button. Uh, this seems very standard to me. I, there's been some one-two games where I would maybe make it eight or nine, and maybe I would make it a little bit more, but without any more information, this preflop seems uh, pretty uninteresting. Yeah, I mean, the, the hero's action, certainly, in that yeah. middle position. Uh, getting two calls on a bet seems either... I mean, well, I guess we know these people are pretty loose, so we don't really know too much about it, but that's, that's a little interesting, mm-hmm. especially the second call. I think people understand that their pot odds are better as the second caller and don't necessarily understand that their equity is worse as the second caller. And yeah. that those two things are both important you know, factors in the decision making. As well as you know, reverse implied odds. And I think a lot of hands that someone who's playing the top 50 to 70% of hands will be limp calling are going to be hands that are dominated by a raising range on the button and a cold calling range in the small blind. Fair enough. That's a goodie. So we got $40 in the pot, three players going to the flop. 
and it's the two of clubs, nine of hearts, and the eight of hearts. So we have two black tens, and there's straight draws and flush draws, uh, and Hero has an ogre pair. So both villains check, and Aaron, if you're in this spot right here with all the information you have, what are, what are you doing when it's checked to you? With the um, I mean, it's, it's absolutely automatic that I'm going to raise and uh, continuation bet, and whether it's $20 if I'm... I think, I think I'm going for 20 because I want them in. I think that they're going to chase some draws. I'm pretty happy with my hand here. Uh, if somebody gets a flush to my, you know... Pairs, whatever. That's that's. I'll, I'll live with that. These sound like the kind of people we can uh, get more money from in a different situation. I might go as high as forty a pot bet, and that would be primarily to take it here. I'm probably ahead here. Why give people a chance to do anything to you on that? That's right now in this hand. I think I'm going for twenty dollars. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the intention of the bet. Yeah, it's absolutely just to get value from Morrison from draws, and I think those are going to be pretty plentiful, uh, and our villains are going to make it pretty easy for us. I'm, I guess I'm tempted to make it a little bit bigger, since I think we have one villain who we, has been described as never really folding with a flush draw, uh, and if that's the case, then I think we should charge a little bit more heavily. Uh, but yeah, I think... Thirty to forty dollar range is probably where I'm going to be at. From like a, a slightly more like game theory perspective, there's not going to be a ton of strong hands. Although nine eight suited on the board, uh, I think we can definitely comfortably bet like thirty five dollars or so on this board. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're I think nine eight suited is probably in both of the villains ranges. Um, I don't think 8-2 or 9-2 suited is in either of the ranges. Maybe in the underground, one player is a small percentage of the time, but unlikely given the you know the VPIP stats that the the listener gave us. Uh, and then sets, and sets are really unlikely, and uh, we're able to get value from worse. So yeah, I think we should bet as much as we can get called, and given that one of the villains specifically will call down with draws and chase gut shots without pot odds, so we want to give them the worst pot odds that we can give them and still get them to call. Can I ask you a question right here now, though, that before we know what's going to happen? Let's say you do the $40 or the 35 or something, and you get re-raised. Are you planning to fold? So against the way these villains were described, yes. Both are described as loose passive, uh, who call down with draws, uh, and call down with pairs. So I think if someone is raising on this board, uh, I think I'm pretty happily folding. I think... It depends a little bit on sizing because if someone if we make it thirty or thirty five and it goes like in the sixty to eighty dollar range, well, I think that's could could be very consistent with a nine or maybe an, even an eight. Uh, but yeah, I think like a decent size raise I'm folding, and I think I'd have to carefully evaluate um, the kind of smaller raise size uh, because I'm sure you've been in games where someone will very confidently, especially maybe if you bet twenty, they'll be like, oh, I have a nine, I want to see where I'm at, and they'll make it fifty and will be very confident in terms of their body language and demeanor, uh, but doesn't mean they're ahead. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, and I think so, We, I'm, I'm betting smaller than you guys, but I think I'm calling a re-raise. Now, I'm not saying somebody goes all in, I'm going to call it, but I bet 20, raise to 60, I'm probably calling that. You're right, though, I agree. If you bet 35 or 40 and get raised, then you, you should be folding. Yeah, and I think the 35-40 the is like a good exploit against a loose passive player, where like, 
you know, against other players betting smaller and tending to call bigger size re-raises, not necessarily absolute, but in relative to the pot, makes more sense because uh, they're going to have semi-buffs in their range a lot more than uh, these villains as described. You guys are actually talking into this a little bit, and one, one consideration we haven't mentioned that would make me want to go bigger we are unlikely to get much information from the remaining cards. I mean, we could. We could get a 10. We could maybe one chance, and maybe we could get a straight. But uh, the other two players probably are. And in a situation where they're getting information and you're not, you want them to pay for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think... I, I agree with you in the sense, especially that, like, this is likely the point in the hand where we're going to be most confident about uh, our holdings and... Even though we, we do have a position which, you know, is really valuable on a board like this that's likely to change on future streets, uh, but our, our hand specifically, like Aaron mentioned it, is unlikely to, to have the same sense of, well, we'll have a sense of our relative strength uh, against the player's range, but it's unlikely we're going to be able to value bet uh, as confidently on future streets. But we, you know, there are only two tens out there, but there are 16... Ace, King, Queens, and Jacks, and yeah. one of those shows up and we're suddenly changes the whole complexion of the hand for us. So that's what I mean about them getting more information than us. Another heart shows up and also changes things. Yeah, I think depending on, like, I think if two, if two people call a seabed of ours on a heart, I'm very comfortable, like, checking back or folding to really any bet uh, against the villains as described. And I think a big key here is the passiveness. So, like, I think... Probably a lot of people listening to this can relate to players they play with, especially at the 1, 2, or 1, 3 level, that when they bet out, when a heart comes, they just never don't have it. Maybe they'll occasionally have like a set that is just kind of mad that the flush got hit, but they never have a hand worse than pocket tens. So, you know, they make it very easy to get max value against uh, when we're ahead and to comfortably lose the minimum or nothing uh, most of the time when they do hit their hands. Okay. Um, so in game, both villains checked. Hero bet thirty into forty, and they both called. So now we have one hundred thirty dollars in the pot heading to the turn. And I'm saying we had two hundred five to start, so we're yeah okay. Yeah, so about one sixty left. Okay. Um, so the turn is the four of spades. So now it has, the board reads two of clubs, eight of hearts, nine of hearts, four of spades. So one of the safest cards in the deck for Hero. Uh, and both villains check. And now Hero has, you know, about kind of 1.2x pot behind. Um, you know, Aaron, you're the guest. What are, what are, what are, what are we doing? What are we doing here? <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting. Um, there's certainly an argument for all in. Just, uh, you know, because if you get, if you, if you bet here and get raised, you're almost, you're close to pot committed in this. Um, they think you're a bluffer. They, you know, they now we know that one guy has folded, but we don't put too much stock in that. We know the other guy could likely call. They could easily call withdraws. Somebody's got, you know, two hearts in his hand and he's open for the one. Um, I don't think there's much. I don't think I'm going to suck anybody in who I don't want to, you know, who I uh, want to play against. So I think I'm going all in here. Yeah, I'm, all in is my instinct too. I'm trying to sort of think through other bet sizings, and if there's anything that could be more appealing, nothing uh, in, in the 15 seconds or so has struck me as such. I, I think the clear benefits 
to shipping are that there's there's we don't really have many bed folding sizes other than a very small bed, and I don't think a small bed is going to be correct since I think a nine uh, is going to pay off a lot more than say you know sixty dollars here. So I think rather than bedding small so we can fold when we when we get raised, we should just shove. And I think given our image, we're going to get looked up by some nines. We might fold out flush draws, and that's okay, uh, because I think that we're going to get paid off enough by made hands that it'll be worth it. Yeah, I also think, especially from like the, the player under the gun plus one, villain one, I'm not expecting him to fold open enders or flush draws here, even though he wouldn't be getting the proper pot odds here. Uh, so yeah, especially with the image, I'm definitely shoving the turn. And I've definitely played in games where you know I've had a very kind of loose, aggressive, you know, bad image, if you will. And then I'm, you know, overbetting the flop and then, you know, shoving the turn for a little under pot. Uh, so if I somehow get here, you know, not betting pot or a little over pot on the flop on this draw heavy board with the overpair, um, I don't really think our opponent's ranges are going to be, like, elastic to our bet sizing. Or at least to our bet sizing between, like, $70 and the all-in of 160 I think, like, any draw that's going to call 70 or 80 might take longer to call 160, but it's going to stubbornly call. And any made hand, again, might take longer, but in the end is going to make the call because Hero has shown down bluffs and is a young, young white male. So they like to, people like to look them up. Interaction is important here, too, because the uh, under the gun plus one, he may be thinking, I can get two people to call, so if I've got a flush draw, I can, I've got better odds here, and so on. Uh, under the gun plus two might think, well, if the first guy called, it's got to be you know, good for me, or another, the opposite logic is sometimes under the gun plus one will say, I think he's bluffing, I don't want to call, but maybe the other guy will call and, and I'll get to see anyway, uh, if he is or not. It also, again, with better players, I don't think it matters with these guys, but with better players, it'd be interesting to know their stacks, because if, you know, let's say somebody's slow paying, slow playing some uh, top pairs or something, they might be able to get the other guy to fold, the flush draw to fold, um, with betting, you know, in the Re side pot. Reshoving over the, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, then you could pull a 10 on the river and uh, and have a chance at something. I don't think either one of these guys is so panic playing aces, though, so it's uh, not much of a consideration. So I think we all agree Hero should shove, uh, and Hero did shove, and both villains tanked and called. Uh, and I, I... I think it's probably better not to give results, but I do want to kind of give what the listener wrote in terms of what they were thinking about what to do on the river, because I think it opens up some really good conversation. Um, so this is, this is what they wrote uh, in regards to their turn shove. I felt strongly that I had the best hand preflop, as Jack-Jack plus would have opened or re-raised, and on the flop, I'm only worried about a set or 9-8, which we agreed upon as kind of the only real value hands that could be better. Uh, but there's so many more combos of flush and straight draws uh, that both villains can have. I also expected those hands to raise my flop bet. So on the turn, I have a little over a pot size bet left and was deciding between checking and shoving. I felt any other bet size would either be too small and price in a draw uh, or too big and commit me to the pot anyways. And I figured I'd get value out of all the flush draws and open enders since the villains called down similar bets previously and didn't want to give off a free card on the river for the draws to get there. 
But now that's interesting. He says, I mean, I'm assuming the most con- most likely hands on both of them are, you know, uh, King Jack, Ace Queen, Ace Jack, something like that. That they just you know had some high cards, and so you get an if you if you get any of those twelve cards, you know, a picture card or an ace on the river, I think you probably lost a hand. Now I'm not worried too much about that because that's not that many outs, and and and. I don't think they have all four of those cards. That would be it. Would be very unlucky if they had between them an ace, a king, a queen, and a jack. But uh, but I think that's my main concern. Of course, you could lose to a flush draw too. But that's they're a straight draw. Those seem less likely to me. So I'm just kind of curious. What what makes you think that like ace, king, ace, queen, king, jack hands are the most likely? Well, ace, king probably not. Okay, so some of those are too strong, and they would probably have bet at some point, either raised or or, or, or bet at some point. Um, but maybe not. I mean, pre-flop, there's a pretty hefty bet in there, and they might just call that, especially if they're passive. Checking is pretty automatic for a lot of people. Uh, mm-hmm. if they didn't, if they weren't the pre-flop aggressor on the uh, on, on, on the river, and, and I'm sorry, on the uh, flop, and you made a strong bet on the flop. So even with an ace king, somebody might just be calling. Certainly with a queen jack, say, um, somebody's likely um, to be calling. Now there, with a queen jack in particular, they're also they're looking for the inside straight draw. And they're uh, and they're you know there's six cards out there that can help them. Of course, they don't know that that's going to beat you, but they they're also looking at a board that has very little uh, for anybody in it. And if they compare one of their cards, so those strike me as those are very common hands, and they're hands that these people would probably play this way. Now, because these people are loose, they could easily have something else. So, you know, with a with a tight player, they're probably that they almost got to have a, some high cards, but. Uh, but yeah, these guys could have gone in with a, you know, jack, jack eight or something, and and, uh, and 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 be playing that. But that's my real my 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 feeling would be if I see a face card or an ace on the river, I think I'm probably lost a hand. But the chances are against it. I mean, there's you know, especially since they're holding some of them, I assume uh, uh, the odds are in my favor. I think I got a 50-50 shot or better at winning this uh, at winning this showdown, and so I got you know. 50-50 chance and only put up a third of the money, so I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think this this board is interesting because against these opponents, we're going to be up against, I think, a lot more pairs than we normally would. You're talking about low pairs in their hands? Uh, yeah, a or, lot or, more or, or 9x, or yeah, 9x, 8x. Okay. That's but, true. I mean, yeah, most people would yeah, don't play most, this very much. <laughs> most people aren't going to call... 8-7 offsuit out of the small blind, but I I don't think that's particularly unlikely, and I think from under the gun, uh, given his description, I think it's extremely likely. Uh, a lot of, you know, 8-5, 8-6 suited. Queen 9, 8-6 offsuit, yeah. Yeah, so we're just going to see, I think compared to, like, your typical villain, just a disproportionate amount of pairs, which I think influences... The turn bet sizing a lot. Uh, if we thought our opponents were mostly going to have sort of high card floats and draws, then I think an exploitative sizing below uh, all in, you know, maybe around a hundred dollars, which doesn't make a lot of sense because we're obviously never folding. Uh, but our opponents don't necessarily think like that. So I think a smaller sizing of a hundred dollars to make sure those draws call. Uh, is, is going to be best, but considering all the pairs we're up against, yeah, I, I think that just makes shoving here really appealing. 
Yeah, and I'm not unhappy if I'm folded too. If I shove on the turn and I get the pot, I'm, I, I think that was a good hand. You know, maybe yeah. I could have made more out of it, but I'm not gonna. Well, we're complain. almost. I mean, I, I prefer a call, but yeah, we're almost certainly folding at equity because uh, our, our, there's really no hand that would call the turn that you know, we have huge, a huge, huge equity edge against. I mean, there's there's plenty that we have very good equity against. Uh, and so many that we have, you know, somewhere between like 65 and 85 percent that we definitely prefer a call. But to get two folds from like holding 15 to 35 percent equity is definitely not a bad outcome. Yeah, so I, I think our our listener played the hand perfectly, yeah. Yeah, so I guess I am going to include the results just because I think it kind of reveals possibly why the listener wrote in the hand. So one of the villains had the nut flush draw and got there on the river and the other had a set of eights so <laughs> so yeah that sucks yeah I, well, I, no 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 hold on that's good because you got two bad beats on one hand yeah and you only lost once <laughs> i you saved yourself a whole pot <laughs> i think given the descriptions and the time played like to assume that on a draw heavy board a loose passive player is check calling with a set like you just you just can't assume that uh, I think the listener rightly assumed that if they had a set or they had two pair, they're going to raise the flop. Uh, and when they happen to slow play a strong value hand and you have a medium strength value hand and you have a really loose bluffy image, I think it would be still criminal not to go for value. So I, I would guess if both players called with, let's say, like an 8x hand and then like a nut flush draw and didn't get there, we probably might not have seen this hand in our inbox if that... Isn't true. I apologize to whoever wrote this in. Uh, but I, I would imagine that's probably kind of why it was written in to kind of just gut check their, you know, assumptions given the such the strong hands that were shown down to them at the river. I'm less surprised though because you know Ace Eight was really. Although I would have, you know, you're right. That's a little strong. I would have thought King Eight or Queen Eight or something. No, no, no. no. Uh, three, three Eights. No, one, one person had a set of Eights. But oh, one person had the nut flight. I'm sorry. Yeah. Ace suited. A, yeah, a, I think, ace suited I think it was like ace seven or ace six. Suited. Okay, I forget what all right. Yeah. yeah, again, I would have king seven would have been a little more in line, but I don't expect that to be raising. Even though you got a uh, a um, you know you got a flush draw and you've got the ace, but you're going to want to wait until you make your hand if people let you stay in cheap. This set, I, I see. I mean, okay, so your pair of eights, you're going to uh, check. You're going to call on the preflop. On the flop, a lot of people are going to want to see the continuation bet, either because they, they, you know, uh, they're going to see it and, and they can raise it and they can, you know, they get the, got the extra money in the pot and they can wait and see. They don't want people to think that they're, you know, they hit their hand right away, especially with two hearts. You want people to think you're playing a flush draw. So I think you were unlucky in that those people could have been playing a lot of other hands, <laughs> but I think those are both reasonably, though it is true, the set of eights on the turn uh, that check was a pretty gutsy, uh, or, or foolish, I have no idea which. You know, that was a pretty deceptive play. Could be both. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't really matter, right? If he bets on that, we're still, uh, we're probably still getting all in. And it doesn't, it didn't really cost us anything that we didn't see that coming. Um, but uh, I agree, that is a little surprising to me. That especially a loose aggressive play, I'm sorry, a loose passive player, you know, has gotten to the turn, has a flush draw on there. You know, you're going to want to make sure, but you don't want that thing checked uh, out. Was the, um, which one was the flush draw, the 
under the gun plus one or under the gun plus two? So the, the flush draw was the under the gun player, so it was the, the looser player. And then the, the set was the small okay. blind. Yeah, so somebody's uh-huh. checked. Which makes sense. He's got a set. Well, I mean, checking on the turn is a pretty, you know, when you got a set on, on a board with nothing except a flush draw. I don't, you know. And straight draws. I mean, I, and I guess two opponents who are in position. I, I, I think, I think you, most people would bet that. Well, I think most people would probably check raise the flop. And then I think, or check raise the and flop, then I think of true. the small percentage of people that check call the flop with a set, mm-hmm. I think probably most are leading out on the turn. I've definitely seen a lot of people play sets this way. You know, they've they've lost too much money check raising the flop and someone getting there with the draw, so they'll check call on the flop and then on a safe turn card they'll shove. Yep. Uh, which mm-hmm. is usually really obvious. So I think if, if you know, if the small blind check called and then on the turn like overbet shoves, I think I, I'm pretty comfortable folding my set of tens. Um especially given the description about how passive they are. Uh, but yeah, like, check calling and then checking with a set, both of, I think, combined is like a, a very unlikely event, probably definitely in the low single-digit percentages mm-hmm. of, you know, at least with the description. Now, um, one thing you also want to do is you want to reassess your evaluation of these players, that maybe they weren't what you thought they were. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is one hour of, of play. But I, I still think, like, we should be extremely happy with our play, since I would guess that even if the small blind folded everything that was worse than tens and called, you know, just with, you know, slow played sets, uh, we would still be making so much money from the under the gun player calling with a flush draw uh, with the odds that he's getting, because he's getting about 1.8 to 1. And even with the overcard, uh, he only has like 22% equity. So, you know, we're making, you know, a good 50 bucks just from the, you know, at the pot at this point. So even if we lose money every time that player has a set instead of the other hands, and there are a lot of other hands that player would call us with, like that player's never folding 8-7 suited on the flop, never folding any 9, yeah. not folding any straight draw, not folding any flush draw. So the, and raising some of the sets. So on the turn, even if we knew this player would always slow play, it's still a really safe spot. So I think mostly just chalk this one up to negative variance and keep grinding. 